Good morning, everybody. Hold on. Let's see here. I'm trying to do this. All right. I'm not even going to. Here we go. All right. Forget this. I'll just do it later. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode two of the Monday Morning Analyst, the MMA. Uh, it's a technique and event review. I'm doing it on video because my boss wants me to, uh, but this was on SoundCloud last week. So if you want it on SoundCloud, if you want just audio, it'll be up there in sort of iTunes as well. So if you subscribe to the promotional malpractice live chat feed, you'll get this extra content and um, follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. So there are, of course, many events over the weekend, three main ones we want to take a look at um, that are, are of note. Of course, if you sort of span the globe each week, there are tons of events. And by the way, I'll do this when there's all combat sports events. So to the extent that I can do collegiate wrestling and jiu-jitsu, I will as well. Nothing really happened in that world this week of, of note. But sort of three major MMA events that I want to home in on. One, RFA 21, that was on Friday. Invicta 10, that was on Friday. And then, of course, I want to do the full card of UFC 181. This will be no longer than 30 minutes. Anytime that I do it, it'll be 30 minutes or less. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about... Um, the first two events. So I'll spotlight a few fights that you should pay attention to. Let's start with RFA 21. This is Jusolo versus Baghdad, uh, which was the main event we'll get to in a minute. Uh, a few fights you want to notice here. The first one was Khalil Roundtree versus Blake uh, Troop. Blake Troop's sort of a guy they brought in to win. But if you haven't heard, or lose, I'm sorry. Khalil Roundtree is this guy who's had a lot of hype behind him. I believe Anderson Silva has been uh, talking him up. Uh, he looks like a beast. He had an easy win um, against Troop on this card. Second win, I believe, in MMA. Let me sort of verify that. Um, just to make sure, I believe that's right. He's, yeah, yeah, that's right. He has two wins, uh, but had a sterling amateur run too. Uh, you know, went undefeated, um, stopped everybody. Uh, only went to the third. No, no, sorry, went to the third round one time. Went to a decision one time. I went to a decision in his uh, MMA debut. Um, he, he's incredible. Really, really gifted. Sort of a, a Muay Thai stylist. Not in the. He doesn't come from Muay Thai traditionally, but sort of that Muay Thai adaptation to mixed martial arts where, you know, they go hand, foot, left, right, really sort of mixing it up in the way that he does. Um, just absolutely blasted out Blake Troop. Uh, kicked him in the ribs, which lowered his hand, then came across with a left and another left hook, dropped him, finished him. It was great. Kid hits hard, aggressive, um, has a very defensively minded stance, though, so he doesn't go in there and just sort of wing. <laughs> Pardon me. A million shots. Keep your eye on the warhorse Khalil Roundtree. Very, very, very gifted fighter that uh, deserves being paid attention to. The other fight on the card that sort of really caught my attention, uh, Chase Gormley fought again, but it wasn't really that. Uh, Joe Murphy taking on Bruno Frazado. Bruno Frazado, I would classify as uh, one of the more elite jiu-jitsu guys, certainly in RFA, if not in all of MMA. A very, very credentialed, talented um, jiu-jitsu practitioner. Had a really weird strategy going into this fight, right? Um his stand-up looked to be improved, but it's one of these guys where your stand-up, while better, it's still just a means to an end. Uh, I didn't really enjoy it very much. I, I thought that he just looked like uh, Joe Murphy's also another jiu-jitsu guy, and so maybe there was some hesitation about bringing the fight there early because I think Murphy is not as technical as Frazado, but certainly Murphy is a great scrambler, might be a slightly better wrestler. Um, at least defensively, and so maybe Frazado was like, I don't want to tire myself out early. Okay, fair enough. But if your stand-up is not there, then that, that game plan isn't there for you either. You have to work with the strengths that you have, and that's sort of it. Um, and he waited too long. Murphy 
uh, basically was just first, caught him with an uppercut, dropped him, and then finished him off from there. So the point is, if you're going to have uh, striking that's a means to an end, that's fine. You can actually still go pretty far in mixed martial arts with that, not just in RFA, but even still in, in, in the UFC, if all the other pieces of your game could benefit you that way. And Frazado has that kind of jiu-jitsu, but he just waited too long. Uh, the, there was a time was passing i'm like when is he going to shoot when is he going to shoot when are you going to clinch nothing you know and he, he actually was physically sort of bigger in many ways than joe murphy was at least from the passing the eye test so murphy winds up winning something of a strange result but um but he did so a uh, bit of a bad loss for bruno frisato and if he's going to if he really wants to to win in mma yes to, that the striking has to come along but so does the sort of the recognition about where it's at and what it can really get you uh, and in the main event, uh, Zach Jusola and Mehdi uh, uh, Baghdad. Baghdad is one of these guys who actually is a real, legit, credentialed Muay Thai stylist. Um, he looked fantastic, you know, really, really excellent takedown defense. Very impressed by it. Jusola was, did I say Juscola? I'm thinking of Casey Juscola. Jusola was all over him from the beginning. And, and, and one of these things is sort of like, I really believe it to, to be true. You have these guys who are great wrestlers, and they think that the cage has advantaged them. The, I, I fundamentally do not believe, and I talked about this last week, I fundamentally do not believe that to be the case anymore. you got guys like Baghdad who are not wrestlers by trade anyway in any capacity, and he was having, you know, obviously he's worked diligently on improving that portion of his game, but um, just giving Jusola all kinds of fits. And then from there, finishing really expertly. I like what Baghdad can do because it's not just that he throws elbows in the clinch, although he does the elbows over the top and up through the middle. It's that he does them while they're moving and turning. And they're moving and turning on his call. So, like, you remember how Rich Franklin would get turned and moved by Anderson Silva? That was all, that was all by design where you open up a rib, turn them so that, you know, their body is open and they're coming into you while the rib is being struck and they're off balance and they're just trying to find their balance. And as they refine their balance, you're drilling elbows and knees into them. Baghdad was doing that less so with knees, but more so over the top with elbows and eventually dropped them and then, um, you know, finished them off from there. So great win by Baghdad. I think you won the lightweight title with that for RFA. So, Expect bigger things from him. But those are the three that really stuck out to me. Um, I mean, there's more than that, but keep an eye on Khalil Roundtree. Keep an eye on uh, uh, Mehdi, Mehdi, however you want to pronounce it, Mehdi Baghdad. Um, and uh, and then uh, I've not given up on Bruno Frisato, but that was a bit of a bad loss. And by the way, that took place at the hangar at the OC Fair and Event Center in Costa Mesa, California. Um, the Bruno Frisato loss was a first-round loss. The Khalil Roundtree was a first-round win. And I believe Baghdad won in the second or third. I don't have the results here in front of me. Uh, moving on to Invicta FC 10. Um, I'm not going to go over the whole card again, just in the interest of time. But uh, worth to note a couple of things. I thought Jin Yu Frey on the preliminary card looked really good over Cassie Robb. Nice, controlling, easy win. Uh, Alexa Grasso, one of these uh, girls. They have a couple of Mexican girls in Invicta. She's one of them who have looked really strong since coming over here and just dominated uh, Alita Gray. So worth keeping an eye on her as well. Um, but the card, the, the three main fights on that card, I want to point to with the, top, with the top three, basically. Let me say from an event standpoint, Mauro Ronaldo turned to commentating. Thought he was fantastic. Thought he worked really well. He works well with most people, obviously. Thought he worked really well with Julie Kedzie. They had a third woman in the booth. Um, I wasn't necessarily the fan of that dynamic, but whatever the case may be. 
So uh, the event didn't get a lot of media attention, and then they've now announced that they're going to go on Friday nights in towns where the UFC is, which, of course, Earl Hadwani had brought up on MMA Beat. Good to see that they're doing it. Smart call, right call. Um, they just don't have the luxury to float around the country and promote events on their own. It, it, I, I, you know, you couldn't see anyone in attendance. It seemed pretty loud by the time that Waterson fought in the main event. You could hear a few people, but it, you know, th- they don't put the lights that low when it's that full, right? So, all right, uh, Roxanne Modafferi returned against uh, Andrea Lee. Lee coming in on short notice. Um, you know, Roxanne Modafferi really continues to improve. I, I don't know what the ceiling is for her. Probably, I don't know if she can go too much higher. Um, Lee was a game opponent, but Roxanne Modafferi has made dramatic improvements. Her stand-up is much crisper, footwork is better, much more defensively minded. She's not getting blasted out and hit with hard shots and you know taking into desperate measures. Um, she's not pulling guard like she had previously. She really is sort of working with her strength. She had a couple of nice hip tosses, good trips from the clinch. She's one of these people who understands if you're going to go for the wrestling against the fence, I just fundamentally believe trying to secure the hands together for a double or a single, unless you get it right away, tripping is a much better option. Um, and so she did that. She has great trips. Uh, once on top, strong positioning, really uh, excellent at getting Lee's elbow away from her body. You know, that's what you want. You want to make sure that the elbow is far away from the body. You're strong here. You're weak outside. You know, uh, did a pretty good job of that. Wasn't able to finish, but and of course, Lee was squirmy and reverse position a couple of times. But I just feel like Modafferi, since going to Syndicate, plugging a lot of the holes she had before. She's not one of these sort of physically imposing dynamic fighters in that particular way. But nevertheless, was able to use what physicality she has in a really efficient way. Still, we're worth keeping an eye on Andrea Lee, taking the fight on short notice and, and, and having moments where she reversed in the top position and looked good on her feet, really crisp, athletic, strong striking. So a strong performance from both. Um, by the way, it should be noted on a number of fights on these cards, uh, the, the results were insane, even on the first match. Um, but anyway, Roxanne Modafferi defeated Andrea Levy, a split decision, 29-28, 28-29, and then 30-27. I had a 29-28 from Modafferi, so right person won. Bit of a wacky scorecard, but uh, Modafferi deserved the win. So it would be interesting to, to monitor her progress. I thought she looked good in her last outing in Invicta. Um, she looked good in this one as well. Again, there's some clear ceiling issues that you can detect but um just from the footwork improvement the 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 defensive shell she's got when she strikes not in a way that's bad but in a way that you know allows her offense to breathe properly and and on the on the floor uh i believe she's a purple belt but you know she's got really controlling mma jiu-jitsu and and deserves credit for for that uh tanya avenger returning against cindy dandois or dandois excuse me getting an armbar in the second round of 123 of the second round. Evanger just controlled this from the get-go. Dandois does not like to strike. She's uh, uh, very much a submission person. And Tanya Evanger was all too happy to oblige her, but not in any kind of dumb way, you know, really using the punch pass, getting to the side, and then spent a huge portion of this fight either in mount or more particularly on the back. And one thing I really liked about what Evanger did was it's a small thing and you notice, but she was trying, she never, it, it's weird when you watch, and I could be wrong about this, and if it's sexist, then just tell me it's fine. I, I could be totally wrong. But to me, watching women's MMA grappling, it's just a different dynamic than men's MMA grappling. They're able to, like Dan Dua was able to, she didn't hit a mount escape, and you saw Milton Vieira do it in, in pride, but you know, getting the legs in front of someone while you're being mounted and trying to pull them off of you and then using that to get a, a heel hook, which she did. I mean, she didn't, you know, secure the heel hook, but was able to threaten with it. Um, but not even that. Like, one of the reasons why Evanger is so good, and, and you go back to, like, the Kat Zingano, uh, Misha Tate fight. I just pulled a hair off my face. Um, 
they don't they don't hold base as well. Like when someone gets mount in certain MMA weight classes for men, they they keep it, you know. Um, and of course, sometimes they don't, and then sometimes they hold it, but they revert to the back. It's fine. But women in in mixed martial arts, they really feel like they're able to squirm into and out of positions with a little bit more ease than the men are, and it creates for a different, more fluid grappling. Uh, dynamism that I actually kind of enjoy. Um, but when you see someone like Evanger be able to control position so thoroughly, um, that's what really sort of takes your breath away, right? That's when you're really like, damn, that is an impressive, impressive thing she just did there. Eventually, she held the back. And then what I liked about also what Evanger was doing was she was using like some wrestling ideas to pull into her jiu-jitsu. So like a perfect example, she had, uh, she was taking the back and I'm not, I'm not sure what she was doing with her right hand, but she was she had secured the body with her right hand, and she was trying to put her left hook in, but she couldn't just throw it over because it would get blocked. So what she had done was she had off a spiral ride or a modified spiral ride, she had put her left hand on the inside of the thigh of Cindy Dandois, right, holding it there, and then putting her. So in other words, that hand there is now like in jiu-jitsu, you never want to take something away. And then there's just open space, and then you try to replace it. You always want to replace immediately. Always want to replace immediately. If you give someone space, they're going to use it. So if you have a hand, you move the other hand, then you replace. It's always it's right right together. Okay. So what she did was she used the hand to keep open the leg. Dandois was now open on the left side. She threw the hook in and then removed her hand. She replaced at the same time, or at least you know before she even withdrew the hand from the spiral ride. She just uh, put the leg in there. Nice. Really technical stuff. Uh, really appreciated what uh, Tanya Evinger was able to do. From the back, went for Kimura, I believe. Uh, but the Kimura, she sort of fell off to the side. But nevertheless, was when, when you go for a Kimura from the side, there, there's a way about getting your feet in on their hips, almost like you're taking their back. That is really required, getting, that, getting your legs across their body. She's able to do it. She actually had something interesting. She, she, she flipped Dandois over. Finish the arm bar. It was all she wrote. But it was cool because Evinger is long and lanky. And if you look, if you noticed it, she actually had her legs on Dandois' far leg wrapped together like an S. Uh, lights just came on. It was actually kind of funny. Um, you don't see that very often. And of what value it was in the end, probably not much. But you don't see that kind of thing very often where she was so far across her body, she was able to get her far leg intertwined between her own two legs, um, which I guess probably helped for the turn from side over to the back. Uh, great great win by Tiny Avenger. And in the main event, um, by the way, the armbar, yeah, 123. In the main event, you have a new Adam Waite champion, Michelle Waterson, up, uh, upended by Erica Turbisio. Um, this is a funny bout, man, because I didn't see it live at the time. I saw it after the fact. Michelle Waterson was doing just fine. Um, it was a close bet mount. It was, it was, you know, uh, Terbisio was never out of it by any stretch of imagination. In fact, I'll get to that in a minute. But Michelle Waterson looked, looked looked pretty good. I, I had a tough fight on her hands for sure. But um, but the thing about Terbisio that really caught my attention was one, she had a lot of the fundamentals that she needed, which was fine. But more than that, it was she never got deterred when bad things happened. Right, so much of mixed martial arts winning at every level is just aggression, 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 and I don't mean like you know wanton just walking in there, but I mean you often hear it: get off first, be the first one to attack. She was always trying to press the attack, and that's how she ended, ended up coming up with it. She she jumped guillotine. Uh, Waterson went to her base from her back to her base. As she went to her base, Turbicio locked up the arm and then jumped guillotine and got it from there. 
Uh, Waterson couldn't even try to pop off the elbow to get past. I mean, it was so tight, right? Arm and guillotine. Um, uh, so, so, you know, that I think that's what really won her the opportunity was she was just so offensively minded. Whereas I just feel like when you watch the match, my major takeaway was that I do think that Waterson has more skills. She showed him to be a more skillful fighter and skills typically win fights. But, you know, when you're, when the difference is not that much in skill, I mean, Waterson was the more skill, but it wasn't like a dramatic dr- difference. But when the difference is as, as much as it was, which is not enough, but noticeable, but the other person is really proactive on offense, um, that really matters a lot. You know, it just matters a lot. One thing I want to make note of is this is nothing I've noticed about East Invicta and women fighting in the UFC. Um, arm bars from the guard seem to be a much more prominent thing, including with Rousey. Now, Rousey doesn't necessarily do arm bars from the guard all the time. She often does arm bars on top or, you know, in transition. But, um, boy, the, the arm bar from the guard, the arm bar generally has a really strong, strong um, role in, in, in modern grappling for MMA and, and high-level women's professional mixed martial arts. Kind of interesting that way. Michelle Waterson has great arm bars underneath. And if you guys don't know this, Arm bars from the guard or arm bars underneath, they're really hard to hit. They're really hard to hit on someone. You can give someone six months of training. That's not going to be the most obvious one you get. You'll get them. They happen, sure. But chokes are easier to get. Uh, guillotines are easier to get. Um, um, you know, Kimuras, I find, for me, are much easier to get than an arm bar. Getting an arm bar, especially from the guard, man. On top, that's not so. That's a little bit less so uh, that hard, you know. Um, there are ways to get that, uh, especially from the Kimura setup, right, with a double wrist lock grip. But Michelle Waterson, none of them worked, but just how threatening she was off of her back with the armbar attempts, to me, was a strong indication of how talented she is. Really kind of impressive. Anyway, she lost in the third round um, at, at 104. That's when uh, Turbucio jumped guillotine and got it. Last note I want to make about this, and it seemed to be a little bit better this time. I've just noticed that when the women compete, there is some issue about clothing. Turbucio had this like cutoff 1980s, a top that was like a like a sweats on top of, uh, on top of her sports bra, um, and it was it didn't wind up affecting the bout, but the commentators kept talking about it because this would never be allowed in men's. Even you know I understand you have to count for different you know physical realities that women have that have to be covered up and protected, but um, this was served no real functional purpose. In fact, could have gotten in the way because it was so open and just weird. Also, it didn't happen this time, but I've noticed in previous Invicta events, um, women have had the grappling pants go past their knee. I don't know why that's been allowed. I don't know what's different about women's grappling, why that's okay. It's it's not. Um, in any event, I, I've noticed I didn't see it this time necessarily, and maybe it was the one thing that Texas got right, but never the case. You have a new Adam Way champion in Invicta. Check her out, Erica Turbicio. Uh, all right, so we move on to the UFC with the time we have remaining. Um, people liked, so UFC uh, 181 took place at Mandalay Bay Event Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, we'll get to the results here as I go up the card. Clay Collar took on Alex White. Uh, he defeated White via unanimous decision, 29-28, 29-28, 29-28. Um, people were talking about how great this fight was, or at least on paper. I, I you know, It didn't interest me much. I mean, these guys are okay. Um, I'll probably fired for a uh, fight pass UFC opener, but not much to take away from this card. Uh, Sergio Pettis taking on Matt Hobar. Uh, he won via decision. I thought Pettis looked better in this one. He probably looked better at flyweight. This was a bantamweight fight. Hobart putting up a decent fight. Um, Pettis having, you know, listen, here's my takeaway with Anthony Pettis versus Sergio Pettis. 
Anthony Pettis is able to hurt guys in a way where he makes them react or makes them panic or forces some kind of change in a game plan immediately. He turns slow chess into speed chess. And when you do that, he then takes advantage of it. You saw the Ben Henderson fight, and you saw it in the uh, Gilbert Melendez fight. Sergio Pettis lands and has really smooth technique, but just doesn't seem to be able to connect with guys to hurt them in that kind of way. Um, so I imagine that if he could land in, with the same kind of authority as his brother, he could probably force these kind of reactions too. But so far, and he's still young and that could change. I'm not telling you this is how it's going to be forever, but that's how it is right now. So Sergio Pettis looked good against Matt Hobar. I recommend a move back to flyweight. And I would really, you know, let's see how he develops as he gets older, more mature, puts on a little more weight. Um, at that point, maybe he does go back up to bantam weight. But that, that to me is the key difference between the two is, yes, they have different styles and um, Pettis is more of a uh, likes to box. You know, Sergio Pettis likes to slip punches and then and then um, you know counter strike that way in, in in the boxing realm. Not much of a kickboxer in the same way his brother is. Brother has a different body type too. That all explains it. Um, but it's that ability to cause damage to force reactions. That part of Sergio Pettis's game is missing. Uh, and the first card, first fight on the preliminary card for Fox Sports One, Raquel Pennington defeated Ashley Evan Smith with a bulldog choke at 4:59 the first round. Um, Evan Smith trying to wrestle Pennington. I thought Pennington's takedown defense looked pretty good for most of the fight. The way it ended, of course, um, she got that 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 Carlos Newton Pat Militich choke in transition came over the top and wrapped it and then sort of lifted her up and you could see Evans go out back down on the way down. Uh, nice win by Raquel Pennington. Ashley Evans Smith, you know, took the fight on short notice uh, ish and I'm sure we'll be back uh, tough loss, but um, she didn't look horribly outmatched. Just had a singular game plan, tried to stick to it and didn't necessarily go her way. So good win by Pennington there. Corey Anderson defeated Justin Jones. Uh, via unanimous decision, 30-27, 30-27, 30-26. Justin Jones, again, taking his fight on late notice. Corey Anderson looks like he can do it all well, but none of it particularly well. Has decent kickboxing from the outside, has good cardio, has pretty good wrestling, has good takedowns. But I just haven't seen anything jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of thing, which is fine. And again, I get it. He's still developing. This is not some sort of major sweeping criticism. But all you can do is judge guys on what they've done, not what you think they believe they are capable of. And so um, Corey Anderson looked good against Justin Jones, but there just wasn't a lot of meat to chew on afterwards. You just don't get a real strong sense about his game other than he doesn't have a ton of holes, but just doesn't really necessarily excel in one particular dimension um, over the other. I would say his wrestling is probably his best asset, but even then it's not you know of crippling value if he doesn't really pass guard and go to mountain pound guys out in ways that he probably could didn't look poor by any stretch of the imagination won the bout cleanly in fact got a 10-8 round on one of the georgia scorecards but just just not enough for me to say that this is a next level talent um at this point in time uh josh salmon having an incredible win over eddie gordon wins by head kick at 308 of the second round you guys all saw this bout. Eddie Gordon basically controlled it. Josh Salmon going for like you know high intensity, high risk, high reward kind of kicks and punches um, would often slip on the mat, and Gordon would get on top, or Gordon would get a takedown. Gordon trying to control the fight, slow it down a little bit, and put it on the way in which he likes to win. Uh, Salmon trying to scramble hard and did you know had some moments where he was able to make things exciting, but just couldn't get a lot going. Was definitely on his way to losing that bout, and then out of nowhere they were reset on the feet and hit a switch step head kick 
that it looked like what Gordon was doing was coming down to block to the middle and let, and, and basically wound up leaning into it, ate the whole thing flush, put him out. Incredible win by Josh Salmon. Everyone knows his story. Losing his girlfriend uh, in a tragic car accident, trying to come back from that. Um, you know, uh, had a hamstring injury when he had to pull out against, I think he was supposed to compete against Kyle Magalhaes. But whatever the case, couldn't compete. Finally gets back, was losing this bout, and then pulls out one of the best head kicks of the year. Uh, hard to not feel good for that guy. Uh, you know, still some issues about where Salmon can go from here. I liked his intensity. I liked his stick to itness. Again, it just proves, you know, Salmon wasn't quite as outmatched against Gordon as Terbisio uh, was against Waterson. But I'm just sort of showing you throwing offense first, getting out there first, executing first. You know, you don't want to be reckless about it, but you just don't want to be always fighting behind. You want to sort of set the tone, let the guys respond to you, and then you work from there. Um, Josh Salmon, live and proof. The Ryan Faber defeated Francisco Rivera, albeit weird. I thought, you know, people said that Rivera, that Rivera lost the first round. I don't know. I thought he looked pretty good in that first round. I thought he was stuffing his shots. I thought he was landing great body kicks. I thought he was landing great middle kicks. I thought, I thought, you know, I picked Faber to win, and I Faber always sort of waits for it. Faber doesn't need a lot of openings. He just needs a little window to crawl through, and he can make you pay and, and suffer for it. So it's not like if Faber, if Faber even had lost the first round, that this was the doom and end of him. I'm not saying that, but I thought the first round was pretty competitive. Um, but anyway, a lot of people had it for you, Uriah Faber. In, in any event, um, Rivera on a reach out gets poked in the eye, and then Faber goes around and actually gives him a bit of a bulldog choke as well. Um, and so uh, I believe it was a bulldog choke. That or a guillotine, I can't even remember anymore. But in, in any event, Rivera is forced to tap basically right away because he can't see he's in full pain. He basically intends to, I believe, file an appeal to the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which I hope is reviewed. But I, I, you know, a lot of these commissions don't review things. They say, well, you know, is there is there incompetence is not reviewable, only malfeasance. Um, there's no malfeasance on the part of you know, Mario Yamasaki, and it was hard to see the eye poke. I was curious about what happened to instant replay and why it wasn't implemented, but I thought that was in use in Nevada, but I guess not. In any event, so you arrive April wins, but we'll see what happens in terms of that being eventually ruled a no contest or or whatnot. But you know, your Rafe is getting thirty five, and he just I just feel like if you look at all the guys' evolution in striking an alpha male, his has definitely been tuned up. There's no, no doubt about it, but it just doesn't seem like it's made the same evolutionary leaps as a lot of the other guys have, particularly guys like the younger ones, like TJ Dillashaw. I just feel like Faber still, with these guys, does, you know, doesn't have a jab to lean in on, has to like dive in on things and wait for these quick openings and throw these overhand punches that get guys rocked a little bit, and then he you know, swoops in, and that's worked really well. He's beaten a lot of guys, but maybe that's why he hasn't. You know, Joe Rogan talked about the fact that he was just a notch below championship level. Maybe the, th- that kind of thing is one of the reasons why. Um, all right, so then you move to the, the pay-per-view card. Tony Ferguson taking on Abel Trujillo. Um, you know, Tony Ferguson got rocked badly in that first round. Tony Ferguson takes a lot of risks, um, but I think he's a very talented guy. He hits hard himself. He's a great wrestler. He's a good scrambler, has good submissions from a lot of different angles. And you could just see slowly uh, it went bad for him in that first first half of the first round. <coughs> but by the end of the first, 
Ferguson was starting to take over, getting better and better and better. And then by the second round, he was just, you could see Trujillo just tiring badly. And eventually that, from that point, it was just, you know, um, it was all she wrote, had back control, was doing the hand fighting sequence. There was a moment there where he was completely exposed on the left side. Ferguson snatched it up and there you go. You know, I don't know how, again, we'll see how far Ferguson can go. But one of these guys who, who, who he's still blending everything together. Everything quite hasn't come together yet. You know, he's still taking a lot of risk, you know, diving on darces. That's a bad idea because a lot of times to get a darce, you have to come really far under where almost your shoulder blades, both of them are touching the mat. You know, you, that's, that's almost like a sacrifice throw. You want to be very careful about doing things like that. Um, but he's got long arms and he's got a decent guard and he's got great scrambling and great wrestling. And as he's shown in this fight and others in the Michael Johnson fight, he's got a good chin. So I, I really think that Tony Ferguson deserves to be jumped into the uh, top 15 with this one. And you know, Trujillo is still a valuable member, I think, of the UFC roster. But uh, clearly these deficiencies are between this one and the Nurmagomedov Madoff fight, even the Varner fight. You know, he's, he's a powerhouse. He's going to beat guys like Roger Bowling. But above that, it's not clear. Todd Duffy returned to action against Anthony Hamilton, uh, winning by KO in 33 seconds of the first round. Um, you know, listen, Anthony Hamilton was a guy who had trouble with, you know, Smilinho Rama um, at MFC. You know, I, I just don't understand why he's in the UFC. I don't mean anything personally against him. Seems like a nice guy. Has a little bit of wrestling. Has improved a little bit. But um, D- Todd Duffy just, you know, just laid waste to him. So basically hunted him down and found a home for the right hand and put him away, and that was it. Not a whole lot to say. Um, but I would like to point out, you know, we talked about how bad this year was for mixed martial arts, and it wasn't that great. But you have the stories like Kat Zingano, like Dominic Cruz, now like Todd Duffy, uh, like Josh Salmon. Great, great, great year for comebacks. Really great year for comebacks. You know, I hope that continues on to 2015. I don't mean comebacks necessarily, but these guys who did come back this year are then able to stay competitively healthy moving on to 2015 so not a lot to break down with todd duffy but uh, a great win travis brown defeated uh, brendan schaub by tko first round four minutes and 50 seconds one of these sort of issues sorry one of these sort of issues or situations where um you know is schaub uh, hurt no but was he escaping no and so he got constant warnings and it was this position where um he was doing pretty well early i thought but eventually he got clipped with a, with a punch he went down and it was this moment where um Brown, who's a big dude, man, he had his hooks in and was, you know, leaning his hips into the lower back of Schaub. That forces Schaub to flatten out from there. He can't really cover up that well. Um, and Schaub was trying, you could see him trying to scoot his legs back from under him. That would at least move Brown forward. If Brown is forward, he has to post a hand or just control one of Schaub's hands. You can still punch that way. It's just a lot harder. But when someone is completely flat on the mat, you have both hands open to go and and unload and so he did um Schaub kept trying to escape kept trying to escape kept trying to get his base under him and then kept getting flattened out I don't have much of a problem with the stoppage I'm sure Schaub does but it seemed to me like Brown was just in a different class um you know when you're forcing someone into these desperate positions because they're hurt and you have you know good fundamental jiu-jitsu in the way I don't I don't think Brown is like an amazing jiu-jitsu guy necessarily but he's got you know the, the way in which he's able to combine it with his striking and the good opportunism and the good timing of it he doesn't need to be, you know, uh, Bushesha to get things done. Um, great win for Travis Brown back on the horse. To me, I think he's really defined himself as one of the elite of the division. Brendan Schaub, I think, will still be able to beat guys in the UFC heavyweight division. I don't think he deserves to be cut by any stretch of the imagination. But I think we've sort of seen that with Schaub, he can really go far, but there's a pretty clear limit. The better guys, the guys who you, you know, the guys who you look to, and you're like, wow, that guy's got a lot of ability. He can't seem to get past those guys. It's the guys where you're like, that guy's good, but he's got a lot of liabilities. Schaub can feast on them. Um, and I like both guys, but but Brown seems to be just a real 
pretty clear tick above. How much did this camp affect him uh, in terms of his striking? I don't know. I thought his striking was pretty good before. Um, but, it, you know, I think it's a process. I think it's the next fight. I want to see how clean some of that striking is. He got off to a bit of a slow start in the first two minutes, but then turned it on eventually. Uh, and the co-main event, and this is my favorite fight on the whole, whole card, to be honest. Um, Anthony Pettis defeated Gilbert Melendez via guillotine choke. Second round, minute 53. I mean, this is why you watch mixed martial arts, right? guys like Anthony Pettis. That, that's why you watch. Well, I mean, he, we're talking about if he can just stay healthy, we are talking about arguably a guy who can put together a resume to be the best lightweight ever. And I I, I mean that. He's not there yet. And everyone got all upset at Dana White saying, because he said he was going to be pound for pound best. Sorry, guys. Beating Gilbert Melendez while impressive, and especially in the way he did it, is unbelievably impressive. But a whopping one title defense does not make you the best fighter on earth. It just doesn't. Um, even though he's beating great guys. So, but but that being said, is he displaying the kind of talent where you can see how he'd be the best in the world? Yes. Uh, much improved takedown defense. Again, keep trying to wrestle guys against the wall. Keep trying to wrestle strikers against the wall and see how that goes, especially when their coach is an Olympian like Ben Askren. I just think it's a foolish idea. I think people need to really rethink their MMA wrestling. You need to go over to trips. You need to drag them away from the cage. Don't give them that. Um, we'll get to that in a minute with the, with the main event, but in any event, I thought Melendez had the right attitude. You, you can't strike with this guy. Why bother? Get in on him. Get all over him. But but just too many obstacles for Gilbert Melendez. Anthony Pettis showing great, great takedown defense, patience, ability to scramble out of bad spots. Um, and then once they were sort of at, uh, at distance from each other, he just had nothing for him. I mean, that was... That was just Pettis looking incredible, sneaking in right hand, sneaking in uppercuts. And then, again, it's the trademark Anthony Pettis. What happened? He... Cracked him with a right hand that forced a bit of a desperation shot, and the consequence uh, as 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 Pettis was able to scramble out, saw that opening, took it, flipped him over, and by the time he flipped him over, you could see he was about to bite his tongue off, Nate Diaz, Jim Miller style. Um, Anthony Pettis is incredible. He is he has got to be one of the most exciting fighters in the sport, if not the most exciting. To beat Gilbert Melendez in the way that he did is just absolutely incredible. You want to ask me why I watch mixed martial arts? I do not watch for the bottom of the card, and who does? You know, I understand the market. Market uh, says the same thing, but I just mean to tell you when people are, are, you know, you ask me about the UFC product and what I want, that is what I'm talking about. I need the UFC as me, as speaking personally, as a fan of MMA. I, that's what I need from the UFC. I need something like that, which is to say something that nobody else can give me. Give me guys like Anthony Pettis, people that you could, Viacom is a $40 billion organization and they can't match anybody like that. That is exactly what I'm talking about. Anthony Pettis is a complete superstar. I hope he stays healthy because the way in which he's going is downright scary. He will be, if he continues to win, the best lightweight ever that the game has ever seen. And for a, a, a weight class that stacked, that is saying something. Last thing uh, here in the main event, um, Robbie Lawler defeated Johnny Hendricks via split decision. Scores were 48-47, 47-48, and then 49-46. Um, I scored at 48-47 for Hendricks. But I take no issue with Lawler winning. Um, I, I gave the first and fifth rounds to Lawler. I gave two through four to Hendricks. I understand that fourth round is a bit of an issue. I really have no problem with Hendricks losing, even though I scored it for him, because I just felt like his game plan was so different from the GSP fight, so different than really the first Lawler fight. Again, if you want to be proactive on offense, fortune favors the bold in mixed martial arts. And I just felt like he was using these stall positions to, to you know, score a couple points on the feet, hit with a leg kick, you know, hit an overhand right, uh, put together a combination, drive him into the fence, then hold him. Um, and people were asking me, who has cage control there? The answer to me is no one. 
Hendricks doesn't have it because he can't do anything with it, and Lawler doesn't have it because he's at the mercy of Hendricks, but he's not really at the mercy of much. There's not there's not a whole lot he has to worry about, um, particularly when they get separated over and over like that in the eyes of the judge. Um, I thought Lawler looked great. I thought the way Lawler poured it on the fifth, you could say, you know, what? Well, who, who wanted it more? Who did more? Um, Lawler, you know. Again, that's not how rounds are scored, but I mean, from a general fight perspective, Lawler wanted it more, and so I have no problems with it. I, again, I thought the fourth round, the only issue I have with the fourth round is, um, you know, people say, oh, that flurry at the end there, at the fourth, not the fifth, but the end of the fourth round, he was banging on him, you know, it really counted in the eyes of the judge. I just didn't see a whole lot of real damage there, to be perfectly honest. It sounded good, and the crowd got all into it, but when you go back and watch, it didn't seem all that substantive to me. What I will point out, though, is kind of interesting, because... Um, I thought that some of the takedowns that Hendricks had were great and the single legs in the center of the cage. And again, not all those are going to work, but I just fundamentally believe trying to wrestle a guy against the cage over and over and over again. People need to rethink wrestling and MMA. But um, you notice he couldn't finish it. Two things Lawler was doing. One, when he would get turned on the single leg, his left leg would still be posted on the mat so he could jump and turn, get his hips behind him, right? That was the first thing. But the second thing was for Hendricks to finish he was getting a single leg, and he was dumping this way, okay? But his shoulder and his arm were blocked from coming across. That arm has to come across and reach the far hip. You have to cover their hips is how you say it. And he couldn't cover his hip ever. And so what was Lawler doing? Constantly scooting to the side, left foot planted on the mat. He could come out the back door. It was a, a really, really, really – you could tell, man, he has worked on that with, I don't know, Yoel Romero or whoever else is there at ATT. But they have done a really good job. That's, to me, wrestling. Because Hendricks was close but could never cover the hip. Lawler able to pop out the back, keeping that left foot planted. Strong defensive wrestling from Robbie Lawler. Really, really liked it. And, you know, I thought Hendricks looked good too. Some of those combinations were great. If he would just done a little bit more, I don't think it would have been much of an issue. I think he thought he won the, the middle three rounds. Maybe he thought he even won the first round. Thought, you know, I can just give away the fifth. You can't coast, man. You just can't coast. So, Robbie Lawler, your new uh, champion. And by the way, speaking of comebacks and, and you know, rises to greatness, MMA's prodigal son, Robbie Lawler, fulfilling a dream. How do you not like that? All right. With that being said, I got to get out of here. I've done this too long. want to say thanks to everybody. Follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. If you have any questions for the live chat, where I'm sure you all want to hear about CM Punk, I will answer it then. But this is a technical review and an event review. Has no real place here. Um, okay. So, I'll see you guys next time there's a big event on a Monday morning. Until then, peace.